Welcome to another episode of the Middle West podcast. And this is Rafa, and I'll be your host for today, alongside our co-hosts, Hamza Mohammed. Salam alaikum. Salam and Mustafa Al Jaddal. Salam alaikum. So, for what feels like months, every day we're waking up, and it's still the American election, right? And we have Nadia Malak Shalabi with us um, as our guest, and she is a law student at the University of Washington. She's an activist with a strong background in research, nonprofit, and grassroots advocacy work, with a particular interest in the Syrian and Palestinian causes. Um, alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you for being here. So I met Malek about last year um, and I've heard her speak and mashallah, I can say that she's one of the most passionate people I've ever met. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I'm quite excited for it because I'm not going to lie, US elections make UK elections look like a walk in the park. Um, and honestly, it's just a very convoluted topic. Um, I'm not really sure where to start with it, but what we'll do is since we've got you as our guest, we'll start with you. Um, I want you to tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in activism? Because I know you've been, work, you've been involved in quite a lot of work, including immigration work, building up people in your community, particularly young refugees and amongst other things. So take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So my name is Malak Shalabi. Thank you for introducing me. And I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. I come from a Palestinian Syrian heritage. So my dad is from Palestine and my mother is from Syria. And growing up, you know, obviously as a child of immigrants and within a community of also first-generation students, we as a community kind of had to reconcile what we knew was our background and our strength and our culture and our heritage with what we saw basically propagated around us as what the ideals for our society should be. So for example, growing up watching Bidoff War and seeing how it was normalized around us and even championed by people at our schools and our, you know, um, in our neighborhoods, we kind of knew what the real impact of that was growing up because we watched Al Jazeera, we had family who lived back home and um, just kind of growing up with that identity helped kind of create my path into activism and trying to expose the reality of what life is like for people who aren't native to the United States. And um, with that, I started a path in grassroots advocacy so I've always been really involved at my local masjid. I taught there for about six years. And I also managed nonprofit organizations that kind of educated youth on the political circumstances um, that shape our everyday lives. And um, since, that, since that period, that kind of catapulted me into kind of taking a more serious and institutional route towards advocacy. So right now I'm in my third year of law school. And inshallah, inshallah, as of this time next year, I should be a practicing attorney. Um, and last summer I practiced, or I was an intern at an immigration firm and I worked with asylum seekers, which has always been a passion of mine working within the immigrant community. And um, this past summer I was with the advocacy organization American Muslims for Palestine. And American Muslims for Palestine does both grassroots advocacy and education as well as congressional advocacy initiatives. And so I was able to see how kind of um, leading organizations like AMP are able to rally the diaspora masses and pushing for causes that are really important to us. And that includes the Palestinian cause as one of those. So that's what has led up into um, where I am today. I currently work at AMP 
Alhamdulillah, and I also am an extern at the United States Attorney's Office. And um, so, be, being a lawyer, I suppose the shenanigans that are happening um, around the country now, um, with regards to appeals to to this state and that state. I mean, I, I don't understand the system. To be honest with you, uh, living halfway around the world, as they say. But does that um, does that interest you? Does that Hey, did it surprise you, first of all? I mean, I don't know what the latest results are um, in terms of the election, um, you know, uh, so goodness knows they're changing, uh, they're changing by the hour. But th this whole, uh, what do you call it, this whole mess that we can call it, that is the election this year, the, how do you see it from, A, an Amer as an American, and B, as a law student or as, as someone who, who wants to practice law? So from a legal perspective, a lot of the claims that Donald Trump are bringing to the courts are, do not have any weight. So he's saying in public, oh, this is about voter fraud. This is about them basically messing with the votes and messing with the ballots. But then when he, you know, when his attorneys go forth to the courts, both state court and trying to get it to a higher level, um, they're actually bringing cases related to kind of how the votes are watched and how the ballot counting is being held. And his claims are being dismissed. His, um, his complaints are being dismissed very easily because this is a very well and, well and thorough process. So people from you know, the government, people from different news agencies are all part of the process of seeing how the ballots are counted. It's literally a live stream process. So um, a lot of his arguments are not carrying any weight. And in terms of how- Go for it, Hamza. Sorry, go on. Hamza. I was. I just wanted to know, like, I was. Be, I've been watching the news for the past Al Jazeera specifically for the past couple of hours in prep for this like podcast. Um, but for me, is how, why do you think so many Americans who do support Trump are actually taking it seriously when he says, "I'm going to take like a law law lawsuit action against um so and so and whatever." Like, why are there so many people protesting? Yeah, I, I mean. We can, we can all, I mean, if you look at it across the board, you have the more, you know, you have, you have the, the, the more Democrat, you know, the Democrats uh, traditionally, obviously they'll reject his claims straight away, but then you have the, his, his, his supporters, uh, they, they take his word for gospel. They take his, you know, the, without any, without any, uh, without any evidence, without anything that they're, they're, they're marching up to, to the count, the places where they're doing the counts. Some of them are armed, some of them are not, but they, they seem to have, just taking his word, uh, his his word, his word uh, as as truth, um, as and it, it's it's very interesting because it's it's a massive divide. You have people saying, no, this isn't true, but then you have people who are just believing him based on his, uh, based on what he's saying. I mean, is that? It does I, I guess the question is, does it does the media amplify that? As in sit, sitting uh, here and watching the news, I'm like, there's loads of Trump supporters. That's, yeah. that's what I think. But is that true on the ground? Uh, are, are they as much as being made out to be? Or is it genuinely uh, a, fr a fringe group of people? Are they really a silent majority or are they just a very loud minority, if you know what I mean? Well, from what we can see from, you know, the voting is that they pretty much comprise half of the United States. So these people exist. These people have their own social communities. And you know, you bet that we're not a part of that. So we're not mixing with these people every day. We don't know how they're organizing, what they're thinking, et cetera. But um, when you look at the ballots and you kind of see where they're kind of concentrated, 
you see why they're able to show up in the numbers that they are. And like you said, Mustafa, they have their own ideology and their own sources of information. And so they're just running behind that at full throttle. And they, like you mentioned, are protesting, they're armed and they're dangerous. And there are actually leaked accounts coming out now where people are saying, oh, we're gonna go, um, you know, um, John, you know, people say people are literally saying that they're going to start killing Democrats. They're going to go out in the streets and start killing Democrats. But, that, so, but that is, is that true? I mean, I'm not just, I'm not saying it's not true. It obviously is because there are people saying it. And there was a Facebook group of about 372,000 people that was taken down overnight. So, but at the end of the day, we live in a sort of a post-truth world where everything, every the fake news is rife. Um, and as a, if you know, if I was a Trump supporter. I'd be I'd be sitting there saying no. This is all this is all being peddled by the left wing liberal media, and it, it, it's not true. We don't want to go and behead behead. Uh, you know, Steve Bannon asked, said that some people should be beheaded, uh, but you know we don't want to do this. Why is the media saying that we should? Well, I mean, there was the situation in Wisconsin. There was a 17 year old who literally brought a rifle and shot. I think either one or yeah, I think he shot two protesters and he killed them. Um, and this was at a Black Lives Matter rally. So these people are armed and they definitely have an ideology that is driving them and shows a propensity towards violence. And the reason why people, you know, are just as much shocked with Trump as any other, you know, explicitly fascist ruler is because he's telling them to stand back, basically wait for his call. And that's kind of why people are more apprehensive now than ever about kind of the mounting movement behind the right wing. Um, Go for it, Rafa. Yeah, just to take a step back, right? So what what are they bothered about? So why is Trump out there, you know, um, saying all this thing like this is fraud? Is anything that he's saying, does any of it have legitimacy? With regards to mail-in ballots, no. And he actually shot himself in the foot with that. So the reason why they're asking specific states to stop counting and, you know, Trump is tweeting it and people are protesting, demanding that stop is because most of the mail-in ballots are actually coming in favor of Joe Biden. And that's because the Democratic Party legitimized and they pushed for mail-in ballots while Donald Trump was talking about how illegitimate they are and how much of a danger to democracy they would be. So um, what they're finding is that in the middle of a pandemic, people will, you know, they are open to voting and most people who are voting in mail are voting for the Democrats. So um, this is just something that's a result of the own storm that he created. It's not necessarily something that's stacked against him. So what we're almost seeing here, right, is that Trump supporters, which you're saying are almost like half of Americans here, they're almost shocked that there is uh, almost uh, there is a competition here between the two, whereas they thought it would be a landslide win. And I think a lot of people thought that, including my dad, right? That's why initially he didn't even follow it. He thought, oh, Trump's going to get a second term. A lot of presidents do. But then suddenly it is actually getting quite close. I think a lot of our WhatsApp groups circulated like that as well. Why did they think they had it in the bag initially? And why just, 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 just to come in there as well on the, on the what do you call it, on the, on the postal ballots. I mean, it's pretty interesting. I mean, Trump was pushing this narrative that postal ballots are fraudulent, postal ballots are illegal, blah, 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 blah. I think even in some cases, I mean, traditionally, correct me if I'm wrong, Malik, but postal ballots are counted a week or two before the actual election or before polling day. But uh, in, cer in certain states, 
Republican lawyers or Trump lawyers or whoever they're affiliated to pushed for them to be counted after polling day or on polling day, which is why we're having this delay in certain, in, in certain states. So if you, if you take a look at the, the a bird's eye view of it, you think, are we really surprised that Trump is doing this? He started a narrative of saying postal votes, postal votes are illegal. Uh, he started delegitimizing de them early. He started telling his people not to turn up, not to uh, not to post, uh, not to post their votes, but to rather turn up in person. It all seems to be part of this big brick strategy or big game that they were playing right from the very beginning. Um, and uh, some people fell fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, as as as, as, as they say. Uh, it's 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 very interesting. It's it's very interesting. And then you also have the whole idea of the of the electoral electoral college, which is what's complicating co complicating things a bit a bit, a bit more. So um, it, it, it's there, and I think we can we can sit here and maybe um, uh, dissect what Trump is doing, but we'll be here for for a, for a very long time. Um, I think um, try and talk about the the, the results themselves sort of biden and trump biden biden and trump i know you malik have a very interesting interesting view on view on this uh, you would traditionally think as a hijabi young lady in in, in america you'll be voting you, you don't want trump in office oh i definitely i don't want trump in office and i'm also not going to commend a biden in office and especially being a hijabi being, being a muslima who understands the impact of the imperial forces of the US across the world, I recognize that a figurehead to this system, like a more palatable figurehead to the system is not going to be the solution to the injustices that are being perpetuated domestically as well as abroad. Um, I'm not sure if you guys caught the debate, but Biden was constantly saying and repeating that this is a racist system, this system is broken, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he was referencing issues like mass incarceration, criminal justice reform, et cetera. This is the exact same man who drafted the crime bill uh, during the war on drugs in, in the 90s, which resulted in basically life sentences for possession charges, which typically would not be anywhere near that long. So the crime bill is actually cited as one of the sources of mass incarceration. The crime bill also created statewide initiatives to invest in private prisons and build private prisons. And the Patriot Act, which we know was an act that basically expanded the government's powers to spying on Muslims in particular after 9-11. This was built off of the very words that were in the crime bill that um, Joe Biden wrote. And Joe Biden takes credit for drafting the Patriot Act as well as the um, crime bill all the time. He even called it the Biden crime bill on his own website. So um, when Joe Biden repeatedly says, you know, the system is racist, you not only were part of the system, but you actively built it. And so um, neither Trump, who is explicitly racist and also perpetuates the same types of destructive policies, is going to be helpful for the overall cause of justice, nor Joe Biden. But I think the enlightenment that came with the time of Trump um, has really created a mass movement that has gotten a lot of people engaged and more conscious to the struggles of everyday life for so many communities across the US. I mean, Malek, just before, sorry to interrupt, I, I have a question. I mean, I agree with your point of like, the system needs to a, re, a revamp for there to be actual change. But the thing is, if people do not vote, how then can that system 
be changed if you know what i mean if people are then just giving up or you know um revolting against a system that they themselves don't want to um see changed if you will like by by actively participating how can they do that i definitely encourage and personally work to a, a lot of strategic engagement with government both as a community and within specific advocacy initiatives and the most important thing i think that different communities or you know people pushing different causes need to incorporate in their approach towards this interaction and this engagement is strategy so for people to mindlessly rally behind a person who is not in any way recognizing their cause, recognizing what they need, um, recognizing what he has done towards their injustice and how he should further serve the justice of their community, that in my opinion is not strategic. But what many communities do and what many communities have done over time is create grassroots movements that pressure government you know, popular, like the civil rights movement in the US was not a popular movement. It challenged the status quo. It didn't validate the status quo. Martin Luther King had like a less than 20% approval rate. He was not a popular man of his time, but these people were able to efficiently create mass movements that pressured politicians into taking the right positions. And that's what I think people should do. But then, like but then surely, uh, I, I understand your argument. I completely, completely appreciate where you're coming from. But then if we take this specific election, uh, this specific election, this, you could say it's uh, where, you know, America's at a crossroads. The world is at a crossroads. Uh, democracy, freedom of speech, whatever our, you know, I don't like the word liberal values, but, you know, the, the liberal democratic values that, that govern the, the, the traditionally the, 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 the West and democratic countries, they're under threat by a far right populist uh, movement uh, headed in America by arguably Steve Bannon, Donald, Donald Trump and, 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 and the likes. Uh, surely in an election that, that is this important and um, will have ramifications for years to come, surely if you're gonna vote, it should be in this election. You know, cast, cast protest ballots maybe I don't know, in 2008, you could have costed a, a, a protest ballot or even in, 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 in 2000 and 2012. But in, at this very important uh, moment, arguably in history or in, 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 in time, surely a, pro a, a protest ballot would have been the wrong way to go. So as somebody who grew up post 9-11 and also saw like firsthand witness the impact of Obama's both his election, him winning the election, and then the legacy of his presidency. Um, I think there's kind of an illusion when it comes to kind of how catastrophic things can be at a particular point and how progressive things can be at a particular point. And that's because things change with time. Obama at his time was considered the most progressive president in history. The first black man ever elected to the highest position in office in the United States of America this was a huge deal. And people were rallying. I grew up in Texas. People were rallying with nooses. People were calling him not only, you know, a terrorist, a Muslim, et cetera, but they were degrading him for his black identity. And that was an incredible turning point in the United States when people rallied behind him and supported him and fought against, you know, those racial instincts of the United States and those racial instincts of Americans across the US. And so I actually don't think that um, this is necessarily a step towards progress. 
Joe Biden right now is winning the election. So he's going to become the next president of the United States. And Joe Biden supported the wars. Joe Biden, you know, has repeatedly, he's, he said the N-word on the floor of the House, and he's in that exact conversation. Okay, but then, but then just sort of going back to that point about the wars, and I'm going to be a bit, um, a bit controversial here. Don't you, we, don't you think, and even here in this country, maybe Hamda and, 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 and Rafa, don't you think we as Muslims focus way too much on, on foreign policy? Um, I mean, it, We do, go, but we, those foreign policy also shape internal policy as well. Um, and I think that's what uh, Malik is trying to get at, is the fact that you have Biden, who for eight years was in, like, was part of an office that internationally created such disunity and catastrophe in the world. And then to then give him an, an extra four years by now, just giving him the title. But I think even like, so to even take a step back from that, I think the way politics works is that they see people as influential groups, right? And the Muslim American community is seen as a group. Now, if we go through this kind of protest vote, um, kind of everyone does a protest vote, we're no, you no longer become influential because you're just cast aside because you as a group don't matter anymore because you don't affect election results. Can you not see it in that way where you suddenly don't have much of a voice because they don't quite care for what you have to provide? And sorry, if I was, if I'm, if just to add to that as well that. Again, you mentioned foreign policy. You mentioned, uh, you know, he 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 started the wars. He engaged in the wars. He was he was, uh, bomb, you know, he used drones. Not him, the administration he was part of, uh, with 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 Obama. If we look at Trump, one thing that I would I would say is that he's been probably the best American president when it comes to uh, to to foreign policy. That doesn't make him good. Don't get me wrong. But if we compare him to Bush, who started the war in Iraq, if we compare it to the Bush before him, who started another war in Iraq, and if we can, you know, Afghanistan. Trump has withdrawn his troops from. He's withdrawn the troops from Iraq. He's withdrawn the troops. He's trying to withdraw the troops from Syria. He's made peace with the Taliban. Um, he he's essentially saying, I don't care about the Middle East. Let their let their problems be their own problems. I'm not going to come in and 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 influence it or, or do do as I say. Has that not has that not resonated with the with the Muslim community? To that point specifically, Trump is just as destructive, I think. I think, like you said, it's, it's really difficult to quantify because we as Muslims, we're Muslim Americans. Like, we're impacted by domestic policy, including healthcare, including, you know, the education system here. And these are all issues that impact us. And we also want to benefit ourselves, our communities, and the greater country in a better way by making the right decisions towards, you know, the best of those options. But yes, foreign policy is an important calculation, at least in my assessment, because the value of one human life that's impacted by US policy, whether it's domestically or abroad, in my opinion, is equal. And as difficult as, as you know, that is to kind of move forward in strategy, to your point, Rafa, is that um, you know, a seat at the table isn't really enough. We need to be able to also voice our baseline. So the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Americans in the United States have never, never gotten down from the point that we demand dignity, we demand equal rights, and we refuse to be treated violently by the government in the way that we are today. I think that's a baseline to, to them having a seat at the table with us as well. But then how do you have a, how do you get a seat at the table or how do you, um, 
getting a seat at a table for the sake of just the seat at the table is wrong. Let's just put it out there. You know, you don't chase positions, you don't chase influence, uh, you chase change, you, you, you affect change. But if we don't engage with the process, how do you expect to get that seat at the table? Yeah, I definitely believe in engaging with the process at every level. So you can kind of go down the ballot. Um, there's not only the presidential election that is, that is determining the democratic change happening across the country. There are local policies and there are state policies. You'll also elect the people who are going into Congress and who are going to be creating the laws that govern this nation. Um, so it's I um, the protest ballot that or the protest vote that I cast for the presidential election was simply because I personally could not attach my name to a war monger and a segregationist like Joe Biden. Um, but I of course voted down the ballot. I voted all Democrat for all the other positions because we know that they generally take more progressive positions on issues like healthcare, education, uh, foreign policy, etc. Um, so I believe we do need to engage with the democratic process, but Joe Biden has not done enough to rectify his wrongs for the 40 plus years he was in office and continued to vote in support of policies that oppress communities of color here in the US to earn my vote. Um, and I think that Muslim organizations are also starting, they're, they're very well engaging with the democratic process here in the US as well. The last advocacy event that my organization or our organization, American Muslims for Palestine held, had over 800 attendees. And these 800 attendees lobbied their members of Congress to push for specific legislation that divested from war crimes that Israel has committed and promoted um, human rights for Palestinians. So when we approach the, the concept of civic engagement, I think we can approach it with dignity and with asking with what our rights are. And um, I think that should be the strategy of the Muslim American community. And it, it definitely um, is a big part of it. Do you feel like you can do that with one candidate over the other though? Because I think when you bring in the argument of voting for the lesser of two evils, that does help pave that way. Um, there always will be a lesser of two evils in some particular issues over the other, and that's what's causing the big divide. Um, so would that not be an, you know, a reason or an, the intention of voting for one over the other? So Joe Biden has explicitly shown a propensity towards violence, towards imperialism. He has literally said over the past few years that he would do the most to overthrow Erdogan. Um, he has not... But then why do, sorry, sorry, I'm going to... I'm sorry, I mean, I, I, not, to, not to cut you off, but as an American, why does that matter? That's what I'm trying to get to you. Surely, uh, and this, this is a problem I have with a lot of, with a lot, with, with, uh, with a lot of, you know, the way us, you could say us Muslims think is, okay, surely our thinking should be, how can we get the best healthcare in the UK or in, in America? Um, who, who promotes the, you know, the best, who, who, which candidate or which party, if, if we're talking about here in the UK, um, can, uh, can improve education the best, uh, who can bring more jobs, who can bolster the economy. So what if, uh, I don't know, he doesn't like Erdogan or he doesn't like whoever it is, um, but he's, he's making... He's making healthcare better, better for, for your fellow Americans and our fellow Brits. He's making schools better, universities better. I mean, these are just off the top of my head. Um, does that does that not outweigh the, his stance on certain foreign policy issues? I guess not to even answer for you, Malek, but the first thing that comes to my mind, right, is that I think with a country like America, and you can disagree, is that the responsibility extends beyond them. 
um, it, that its influence is beyond just their own country. If it was just their own country, then fine. But we know that America has its toes dipped in every single one. Um, and yeah. therefore, as an American, the responsibility extends beyond just themselves. But I'll let you answer more. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I'd like to first challenge the premise that Joe Biden will be more progressive on domestic policy issues. Um, for the 40 plus years that he was in office, he did not push for policies that were considered progressive related to taxing the 1%, climate change, um, health care. These were all issues that he actually demonstrated that himself, as well as the Obama administration, were heavily influenced by special interests and lobbying groups in the US. So, but if we were to take that premise that he would have at least the better policies, arguably the better policies on those specific issues, if our benefit comes on the backs of other people's harms, that is not a net benefit. And when, like, to the point that I'm But who, who are these other people? I mean, not to take away from anyone. Obviously, um, as Muslims, we believe harm to one is harm to harm to harm to everyone. You know, a blood, uh, the, you know, um, killing someone, killing someone is as if you've killed you've killed the whole mankind. This is what we're taught. So obviously, equal equal ground for everyone. But when you know, when you say other people. Who do you mean here? The, the domestically or for or or or, or 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 abroad or both? Domestically and abroad, but specifically to the point of the U.S. exerting imperial force across countries around the world. This is a really, really important point to take into consideration. In order for us to to challenge the issues, the root of our issues in the U.S. and also you know the greater global system. We need to understand that the United States is exerting its force, exerting its imperial influence across hundreds of countries. They have hundreds of bases, bases around the world. Um, this is an issue because the U.S. is essentially establishing its supremacy in a state that it has no control over. Each state has a right to its own sovereignty. And an attack on another country in any type of way is also an attack on the entire system. And as Americans, we, we're personally investing in this. This is our country. We're paying taxes here. We're choosing our leaders. And we have every right to demand them to uphold their own standards, our own standards here, here in the U.S., as well as what we believe, um, you know, we should uphold at an international level as well. I mean, Malak, I would like to take it a step back and go back to American grounds here rather than international, like we've been focusing on, is how do the American people, how can the American people become more politically conscious? Because what I'm seeing from across the pond is that there's not a lot of political consciousness in terms of being able to critically dissect a lot of the policies or the, a lot of the administrative leadership, if you will. How can Americans start doing that correctly so then that means, like you've said previously, we can, they can create seats at the table or they can um, like vote, um, what's, what's the right word, vote correctly down the line, down the ballot, as you called it. How, how can they do that? Because that's what I'm seeing not exist over here. So I think the era of Trump has been a period of enlightenment. I think the racism within the system has come to light in a number of different ways. The way that Trump talks, the way that he incites violence, the way that he rallies racists around harming communities of color here in the US has been really, it's been an eye-opening experience for a lot of white Americans who don't typically experience prejudice or violence you know, at a, at a normal 
at a normal rate. So them seeing him act so aggressively and you know put out such destructive policies has really informed a lot of people about the racism here in the U.S. And even more so, like within you know the past year, we've had huge movements, huge grassroots movements, both for economic justice, racial justice, criminal justice reform, etc. And if someone wanted to be involved and really engage with these situations at a deeper level, I think the first step would be to kind of narrow it down and see where your best, you know, you would have the best influence and best impact because we can't fight every front. But um, every, there is a cause for just about every issue here in the U.S. And there are organizations working every single day for, you know, to promote justice on every single cause here in the U.S. So it's a matter of kind of figuring out what cause maybe most closely aligns with you, which one you know you feel like calls to you the most, and then working with people who are, who have been working before Trump and who will continue working after Trump on those causes for the people that they're trying to serve. You know, you mentioned that the Trump era really brought to light a lot of issues in America, and I agree with that. And that's why I thought the presidential debates would be really interesting or they would bring these issues into light and that's why I thought it was so disappointing because it almost like they took it and like threw it away and the presidential debate with or watch were shambolic and didn't actually utilize what was brought into light it was almost felt like this was just normalized um as such do you feel like that I don't know did that resonate within people in America as well did do they realize that these things came into light or do you feel like it's some and not others I think, um, I think, I mean, to be honest with you, I feel like because we take most of our news from very specific outlets for people who align more with the left, people who align more with the light, um, we just kind of been caught a lot of people in echo chambers, so people who kind of repeat the same arguments, et cetera. And um, I think something really important to look at, taking a step back and kind of seeing the media outlets and how they kind of, you know, over decades have been kind of propagating the same types of arguments. It's, it's kind of, you know, interesting to look at the election itself as kind of a spectacle and seeing like both candidates perform in that way. So in my opinion, the debates were a performance. Trump was performing um, and he obviously, you know, you guys know exactly how that went. The entire world saw exactly how that went and he was performing exactly how he's been kind of managing and running in office just kind of um being very explicit being... like a child essentially is it say that again like a child essentially the memes that came out of those debates were hilarious yeah no of, of, of course i mean he he made a mockery um I mean, he's made a mockery of the of the president's office. I'm not sure if y'all also followed the debates um, in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. And people say that Trump kind of alludes to or kind of takes over the character of a really blunt, like aggressive machismo uncle, like somebody that you would see at like a party or a family get together and they're just really aggressive and they don't really make much sense, but they're able to rally people behind the ideas that they're just kind of throwing out there with no support, with no basis, none of that. Um, but they're able to, you know, just get people hyped to what whatever they're saying. I think that's what Donald Trump even did with the debates. I mean, even Republicans were not, even with everything that he has done over the past four years, and even with that debate itself, they were not able to, you know, see this person as incompetent or an illegitimate leader. Um, and he was just kind of throwing out catchphrases and things like you said, memes that people would want to hear and feel validated by. How do you guys think Trump will be remembered? 
if he's out of office after these four years, what is his mark? Honestly, I feel like he's going to be remembered by some as like the saving grace that came to America whose term was cut short. Um, and to others, he's just going to be the one thing that showed how America's system was just broken to the degree that it allowed such a man to take office. So I don't know, it depends on like what you're going to to look at it from. Um, but yeah, I feel like he's just going to be looked at as a childish little... I don't think so. I think the Trump administration, <clears throat> sorry, the Trump, these four years are going to shape the next generation of America because let's not just look at Trump, but look at, um, sorry, Cong uh, Senate, the, the Supreme Court, the, the judges. Uh, I think the, the Republicans have managed to, to, to force through, um, I think is it federal judges or state judges, Malik? I'm not sure who needs confirmation by the Senate. I know the Supreme Court needs confirmation, but there are other types of judges that need to be confirmed by the Senate as well, isn't there? Which, which ones are they? Which ones are they? Um, but yeah, this, so the Senate right now is really important. They're trying to determine basically whether or not it's going to be controlled by the Democrats or the Republicans. Um, it was a really, it's been a really close race and people have been saying it will be determined by the Senate, but now because Georgia is kind of up in the air, people are saying there might even be a very slight potential for the Democrats to take control of it. Mm. Um, but as of now, yeah, the House is the House is Democratic and then the Senate is is likely to be still Republican, like you said. Yeah, but then again, if we look back at the past four years, it will shape the next generation because they've, the Conservatives, you could say, or the right wing of the Republican Party have managed to, to, to force through so many state judges, so many federal judges, and they've packed the courts with people who are sympathetic to them and argue, judges serve for a very long time. So the Republicans, essentially, in, in the Senate, uh, sort of the likes of Mitch McConnell and whatever, they've got what they wanted out of these four years. They've got control of the Supreme Court and they'll probably have control of it for the next 25, 30 years for the next, for the next generation, essentially. Because if you looked at the, if you look at the three appointees by Trump, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, I think that's her name, the, 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 the new one. And there was a third one who I don't really know. I don't, I don't know the name, but they're all relatively young when it comes to when it comes to Supreme Court justices, and you know, you we saw Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She lived into, uh, I, I think it was late eighties um, or eighties or late late eighties. So the whole Trump is going to go away, but well, we hope so at least. His um, legacy isn't. His legacy is not going to go away at all, and I think it will be, it will be felt for a, for 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 a generation at least, which is what 20, 20 25, 30 years. Because you're uh, right, you're very focused on individuals in this election. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what I think that's what both British and American poli uh, politics has become. It's very individualistic um, personality kind of politics. But in in essence, like Mustafa said, his his reach, Trump's reach, and his his intelligence. I say I use that word very loosely. His intelligence is far reaching because he has advisors who know what they're talking about at the back of him. Yeah, of course, and and that and that's the problem here. Um, I was listening to someone on the radio I, I, this morning or yesterday who's saying that seventy million seventy million people voted for Trump. Not all of the sorry voted for the Republican Party. That's the whole party. British UK. That's a that's more than the population of the of the of the UK. Just to put it into perspective for our listeners, but um, uh, seventy million people voted for Republican or voted for Trump. Of that seventy million, 
not all of them necessarily like Trump. They're just Republicans and they're just Republicans. So naturally they'll vote, they'll vote for their own party. But a good third of those, they were saying, are diehard Trump supporters. And these, these people are going to carry on being there. It's these, the, the far right has been absorbed into mainstream political discourse, just like we see here in the UK with, with UKIP, uh, the UK Independence Party, and before them, sort of the British National Party, the BNP. They've somehow managed to get to get into to 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 affect change and to, to get into the places that matter, and it's this that's causing the divisive nature of the of the communities we we live in we live in, and it's going to be an interest, especially for in America at least, it's going to be very very interesting for Americans in general, but I think for Muslims as well, and um, that's one aspect I think I'd maybe want to explore, Malek, for for you. How do you see the next period? looking for muslim americans uh whether it's the next four years or the next 20 years or the next 25 years yeah i'd like to first touch on you know the point of this kind of being it sounds like a racial like insurgence basically that's happening here in the u.s i think it's important to take a step back and kind of look at the history of the united states how it was founded um the blood and genocide of native american people the slavery of black people, the oppression and exploitation of Asian labor here. And, you know, when you look at the United States kind of in that context, it really isn't that crazy. People, black people couldn't buy homes in the United States until like 40 years ago. Black people couldn't vote until like 40, 50 years ago. Sorry. This is, you know, Jim Crow's entire, like full segregation was happening during the times of like our grandparents, you know? So this is just kind of like another manifestation of the root problem of racism that the United States was founded on, in my opinion. Okay, let me just get this straight. You said black people couldn't vote 40 years ago. But 40, 40 years ago is what, the 70s? Yeah, it was, it was literally the 60s. They could not vote until the 60s. Really? Uh, yeah. Shows, shows my so there was the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and there was also Jim Crow, or full-on segregation, that Joe Biden, by the way, pushed for which included basically, you know, black people being forced to sit on the back of the buses, black people having to, you know, when they go into theaters, sit in the back and top of the theaters. And, you know, they have their own underfunded schools. They have no community resources and in the homes and communities they're forced to live in. You know, we had zoning laws even here in Seattle. And you see the impact to this day, you drive through communities that are predominantly black. And it's because their parents could not even buy homes outside of that locality. Until yeah, it was the generational wealth, wealth that was taken away from those communities. So we've got a long, long way to go. Eh? I always used to think that um, in, in the future, we'll think back and laugh at the fact that we called ourselves progressive at this time. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Honestly, like, we're, comparing, we're comparing our progression to, I guess, 40, 60 years ago, and we're looking at, oh, how we've progressed. But honestly, like, if you look at the minute details, we haven't really taken very I mean, I mean if if progress if if progression is letting a black man and a white man sit next to each other on a bus I'm pretty I'm sorry but our standards are very very low um, that, that that that's not necessarily pro progression progression is when the whole system changes and moves forward that you don't have uh, um, ghettos you don't have um, we call them ghettos you don't have the projects and the and the and, and the the, the, the gentrification and the, and the ghettos that that, that that you see across 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 cities and in the UK and in and in and in um, and in the USA and it's it's I think that 
that thing that we need to be thinking about. It's looking into the future, how we can affect this change, not for ourselves, because arguably our time is nearly done. Um, it's for our- I have, a, I have a question for Malak. It's, it's very out there. But if, um, if in, let's say in the next 20 years, like uh, that the systems were revamped and like we did have a really good leader in place, how would that look like? How would America look like to you? The United States were to have, you know, yeah, like the, the, yeah, not the situation that the particular system that we want to overhaul has been overhauled. The president that we want is in power. How does that look like? That, that would look like a system of equality. It would really like, this is so, is so minimum. Like the standard is so low at this point, it would be a criminal justice system that treated people equally. It would be an, it would be a set of immigration policies that treated people humanely it would be foreign policy that wasn't set on you know premises of imperialism and exploitation and it would be an economic policy that wasn't established on furthering the interests of very few people who have a lot of influence over government and i think in that type of in that type of system people would simply be able to live their fullest lives because they're not being Diminished, their existence is not being diminished, their potential isn't being diminished by government policies that target them based on who they are, where they grew up, um, how much money they have. No, that, that's, that's interesting. And I think it's, uh, it's maybe a, an apt note to sort of uh, tie this whole episode uh, up with, um, talking about progression, talking about um, um, what, what, what to look forward to in the future. And inshallah, May affecting those changes, um, not not for us, because like I said, our time is gone, but for but for our but for our our arguably our kids, our grandkids, the people, the the generations that come, that that that, that come after us, and I think that's what we're taught taught as as Muslims. And I think I, I always argue that as Muslims, we are taught not just to be, um, uh, we, we we have this whole concept of ummah that's for ummah or community that's very important to us, and as a Muslim, we should be identifying not as not as american not as british not as uh, french or moroccan or whatever nationality you come from but we should be identifying as global citizens and that's what islam is all about and that's what the whole concept of ummah is all about and we should be working towards bettering the system making um, uh, making the changes that we that we want to see to leave a legacy for the generations that come after us we're not, we're not that old, Mustafa. I speak for myself, maybe. I speak for myself. <laughs> we, all have, we all have many years on us, and inshallah, like you said, we'll continue to do what we know is right, and that's enjoining good and forbid evil. Inshallah. I mean, I couldn't think of a better way to end that. Barakalafiq, Marek. Um, I also noticed that they both are pronouncing your own, your name wrong throughout the whole thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Malik and Malek are two different names. But Khair, would you answer to both? Malak. Yeah, my name is Malak, but I'll answer to both. Yeah. Especially <laughs> on air. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, for your insight. Uh, it's quite important because I think sometimes we just take with what we see in the media. Um, I don't have many people on the ground in America. Um, and, you know, from my perspective, it just does seem a bit shambolic. It seems like, where are we going with this? But at the same time, I can relate it a lot with UK politics as well. Um, and there's some kind of similarities there, but we won't go into it. Um, but yeah, we are little reward you and for, for everything that you're fighting for and all your causes. Um, and yeah, inshallah, we do all see the fruits of, of our labor, inshallah. Amen.
I mean, thank you. And I think to our listeners, to the people listening uh, at home, watching this on YouTube, listening to it on whatever platform, uh, thank you for listening to us for another hour or however long it's going to be. Um, inshallah, you can follow us on all of our socials at the Middle West PC and at the Middle West Podcast. And if you have any feedback, you can contact us on uh, podcast at the Middle UK. I had to think about that, which is very, uh, <laughs> which is worrying, but it's been a long day. It's been a long day. Jazakallah um, khair, and we will catch you in the next episode. Um,